Yeah, I mean, there are multiple ways of valuing a business, you know, and there are three primary ways, call it primary colors, if you will. All other methods are derived from these three methods somehow. Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. And this week, we've got Barak Kanodia, who is a valuation expert. He's valued companies like Uber, Airbnb, DoorDash, and he understands what drives great businesses. You're not going to want to miss it. Barak Kanodia, who's about to go do a TEDx, is talking with us today and giving us a preview before he does it. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Barat, how are you doing? How's everything going on your side and uh, in the family and the world? How's everything on with you? Oh, things are fantastic. I'm in California. It's about 73 degrees outside. You know, could be a lot worse. Yeah. Thanks again for taking some time. I, I Your background and your kind of mission of what you're doing with your companies, I think can provide a ton of insight and information for our listeners. And, you know, let's just start it off by just giving a background of how you got to where you are, and then tell us where you are and what y'all are doing with your company today. So we do valuations for founders of startups or business owners. If a founder is looking to raise capital or if a business owner is looking to sell their business, step one is to get a valuation. Or on the counter side, a venture fund that is looking to invest or a investor that's looking to buy a business or buy into a business, their first step is to know what that business is worth before they write those big checks. And we help them with that. You know, that's an interesting area where everybody's raising money right now. And especially in our space, there's a ton of M&A. But how did you get to this point of of starting Veristrat, right? What was your journey to to starting the company and doing valuations? Were you part of a startup that you needed to do it? Did you have a background in financial analysis? What was kind of the journey to get to this point? Best things in life happen to you when you least expect them. So this was my first job out of college and turned out I was half good at it. So I stuck with it. I worked for a company called American Appraisal for 10 years and then I started my own firm in 2010. The world around me was falling apart and I was starting a new company and people thought you were crazy. I think Warren Buffett says when there's blood on the street, that's the best time to, to invest. And, and that's exactly what you did is investing in yourself, which is the best investment people can make. And speaking of valuations and you working on, you work for both the company themselves and also sometimes the investor, if they need to come in and understand the value of the business, talking about valuation of businesses, right? Talk us through the process y'all go through to understand the business and think about the valuing of the business. Because as I said, many people in our space are looking at potentially selling their business and how they need to think about looking at their business before they sell it. Yeah, I mean, there are multiple ways of valuing a business, you know, and there are three primary ways, call it primary colors, if you will. All other methods are derived from these three methods somehow. And the first method is income approach, where you're looking at the cash flow the business brings you over the next year, two year, five year, 10 year, whatever horizon you want to look at and present value that cash flow to today. That's one way. Second way is you're looking at a business kind of like your house, right? So if you think your house is worth $100 and your neighbor just sold her house for $120 and your house the same as hers, well, your house is worth $120. Or the third way is you're looking at it is saying, hey, 
what will it cost me to build this house from the ground up today, which is called the cost approach. So three ways, income approach, sales or comparable approach. And the third is the cost approach. So you can pretty much value anything in the world based on these fundamentals, because as long as you keep these fundamentals or these building blocks in mind, you can look at any asset. When, when you think about, because I know in your past, you've, you, and I want to start on the technology side, and then we'll get into kind of our, our own industry side of things. You, know, you valued companies like Uber and Airbnb and, and DoorDash and Tesla and all those types of companies. Like, for instance, Uber and Airbnb were, were basically category creators. They, they started their own category. There wasn't a comparable. You could, I guess, do a, a cost analysis on them. But these types of startup companies that have negative cash flow, so you can't do anything on that side. How do you go about even starting to get a framework? And, and then do you just you get your own framework, you have the analysis, and then it's just a matter of which investors believe in that analysis and which ones don't to get that fundraiser or the investment from there? Yeah. So companies like Uber or Airbnb, you don't use the traditional approaches here. These are not traditional companies. Here, the approaches are far different. And, you know, I can talk about some of the approaches you might use for a startup or a astronomically growth oriented company. One way you would use is like a exit analysis. So you're looking at um, different options this company might exit at, right? And what those exit values will be present valuing those values to today. So say, for example, oh, this company might IPO in five years. This company might get acquired in eight years, right? And it's going to IPO for, say, $2 billion. It's going to get acquired for $3 billion. You take those numbers, you present value to today, you apply a probability to each of the outcomes, and you do a summation of the value. That's one way of looking at it. Again, it's, it, it's, it, it, there are different horses for different races. What I to- showed you were the three primary colors, but you don't use the red, white, and blue everywhere you use the color that you need at different places. You've seen a lot of businesses across the spectrum. When you look at those businesses and analyze those businesses, what stands out, maybe the top two or three things that stand out the most in the most successful businesses you've looked at versus others that you've looked at and maybe a a founder comes to you and says, hey, I want to sell my business. You're like, your business really isn't worth much. What are the what's the the two or three things that stand out for those companies that's consistent in the really good companies that you look at? I whenever I'm talking to a company or a founder, I am always looking at three metrics. And some people might say there are five metrics, there are seven metrics. I mean, you know, I think those are more like clickbait type of headlines. I only look at three. One is growth. How fast is the company growing or how fast can it grow? Two is profit. How much profit do they have? If they don't have profit, how fast can they get to profitability or how fast can the profit grow? And third is risk. Um, How risky is the company? A canoe is far riskier than an aircraft carrier. So I'm just trying to assess that, hey, how many employees, how many assets, how many investors, how much invested capital, you know, what is at risk here? When you look at like a wealth management business, right? In the industry that we're having right now, there's a huge boom in terms of the valuations of the business. In your mind, when you're looking at valuations and when you start to see that they become too too risky or 
What are some of those trends that you see in the industries where just valuations become crazy? Is it that they just disregard those three items that you just alluded to? Or is there some other theme that's happening? And the reason I ask this is, a lot of people are talking about there is just the the valuations on businesses here in this industry is way too high and it can't be sustained. And when is the bubble going to burst on that side of it? And I think it'd be really valuable for our listeners to understand from an expert, you know, what is some of those tendencies in those bubble markets that you've seen doing valuations for as long as you have? When uh, people start start talking about the stock market at dinner parties on the dinner table, that's when you know you're in a bubble. I, I I teach finance and people ask me, how does finance work in this? And I'm like, look, finance is very easy. All you have to do is follow the cost of money. Just like anything has a cost, right? You wanna buy a loaf of bread, it has a cost. Money has a cost. And if you can follow the cost of money, you understand finance. That's the basic building block of finance. And currently, money is cheap. Because money is cheap, what happens when something is cheap? You buy more of it. So people are buying more money and putting it to use someplace else. And because there's more demand for money, there's more demand for things money can buy. That's why we see inflation. And that's why we are seeing stock market go up. So if you break down things to its molecular level, it's all fairly understandable. So, you know, I don't know when the bubble will burst or this and that. All I'm saying is, or or if it, we are in a bubble, all I'm saying is we are seeing astronomical prices right now because money is cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The cost of money, following the cost of money. You know, we were talking before we started to record here, you're heading over um, to Mumbai to do a TED Talk. Tell us, what is what is the TED Talk about? What's the topic? What are you, can you give us a preview on what y'all will be talking about during your TED Talk? So there are so many people who started businesses, started startups, but 99% of them have failed. Why? I mean, all we see in the newspaper is so-and-so company raised so-and-so and exited for so-and-so. That is really 0.01% of the companies that are actually formed and, you know, of the founders. So what are the other 99% of them doing wrong or not doing? And that's what my TEDx is about because I've analyzed over 4,000 companies. I have worked with so many founders and I have done their valuations. I see what VCs look for. I see what increases valuations. So I am just spilling the beans that, hey, if you come to me for a valuation, these are the things that I'll be looking for as an appraiser. So it is to your benefit to pay attention to those things so that you can maximize the value of your company. Maximizing value is the name of the game, right? And so I know that you're talking at a TEDx and this will probably be posted after your TEDx talk. So could you highlight maybe two of those things that you focus on that you see of those 4,000 companies that really just maximize the value of, of businesses? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, very straightforward. There are two things that maximize value of a company. One is consistency in cash flow. Buyers or Wall Street or investor wants to see 
consistency in your growth, in your cash flow, in your traffic, in your engagement, whatever have you, whatever the metric it is, depending on the metric of your industry or the stage of development you're in, people want to see consistency. So in consistency in cash flow is, hey, why is Netflix so valuable? Because you pay the $10 or $12 for Netflix, whatever you pay, you don't even blink an eye. You're like, fine, whatever. Because people don't worry about it. That's consistency in cash flow. Same customer paying Netflix money again and again and again, and they don't really care. That's important. And the second thing is automation or having the business run on autopilot. Netflix just puts the film on their platform and millions of people can watch it at the same time or re-watch it at the same time. And they don't have to do anything. All they're doing is creating content and adding more content to the system. It's like a library. So if you can create a business that shows consistency in whatever you're doing and you can serve your customers or your clients, whomever you're working for, as if the business runs on autopilot. Now, that could be automation or that could be having multiple layers of management. Those businesses are valuable. I think that the the consistency of cash flow is something that is unique to our business today inside of wealth management. I think that the 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 scalability is the biggest challenge that firms are facing and I think that that to your point is where you're starting to see the separation of multiples on businesses and also just the growth and it is an automation can you create the same client experience for each client as you continue to grow. And if you can do that with standardization and automation, then you've created something that's really unique, especially in our business where it's a people business. So you have to do something where you get more people in that in that realm with automation being there. You know, I want to tackle just real briefly if you if you're willing to dabble dabble into it, because you are a valuation expert. And this is something that I've been trying to figure out for a long time here, but I don't know if I've been able to pinpoint how to do it. Cryptocurrency is something that's huge in the space. I think that everybody in our industry is trying to figure out how to incorporate it and if to incorporate it and what does it mean for financial planning. A lot of people just have avoided it because things are okay now. You know, given your analysis and, and valuation expertise, how how does someone go about is there even valuing cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin or whatever it may be? And have you done any valuation inside of those types of companies? Because if you have, they have those assets and so you have to value it to some extent. But how do you value cryptocurrency from your standpoint? I don't value cryptocurrencies. I value NFTs. Cryptocurrencies could be anything. I'm not smart enough to value them. But I, I look at cryptocurrencies the same way I would look at emails, right? 25 years ago when emails got started, you know, there was Hotmail and there was Yahoo Mail and then Gmail came along and, you know, you have Microsoft and all these kind of web services with for free email. But, and they all come and go, right? Hotmail is nowhere around or, you know, what have you. But email as a communication tool still exists and it's very popular. Similarly, different individual cryptocurrencies might fall in and out of popularity, but cryptocurrency as an asset class will exist. Individual NFTs will come and go, but NFT as an asset class will exist. So I value NFTs because I believe in that asset class because I think that is here to stay. 
individual NFTs or which NFTs it's based on, that might go in and out of popularity. And the way you value NFT is just like how you would look at art. Cryptocurrencies, they are a whole different ballgame. I don't dabble in that because, you know, it's like asking, hey, who's going to be president next? I, I don't have no idea. You know, if I knew, I wouldn't be here. What 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 makes you say that NFT is here to stay and it's a better area to be valuing? What in your what is the and this is just a great conversation from your perspective because you've been close to it. What is the ultimate value of NFT? Is it just to your point? Is it just a new form of art for individuals? It is a new asset class. It's just like you know, first back in the day, you're probably too young to remember back in the day when you buy shares the company would actually send you stock certificates, mm -hmm. right? Now you have, I don't, I have insurance. I don't know. I don't have anything on my hand. I have, I have a password. What's that worth? I don't know. NFT is an electronic asset similar to a domain name, right? 20 years ago, if you ask somebody, Hey, do you have a domain name? Have you heard of a domain name? Did you buy a domain name? You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? What's a domain name? <laughs> But now most people have at least one, right? Similar with NFT. Right now, NFT like, oh, dude, I don't know what is NFT. Ooh, is that so cool? That oh, hey, that guy works on NFTs. He's awesome. Yeah, NFTs. Soon it'll be just every Joe's will have NFTs. So I think NFT as an asset class is here to stay, and I think it's great because it's easily transferable. And what I like about most about NFT is, say, if you buy AT&T today or you sell AT&T today, AT&T as a company doesn't get anything out of it. But with NFTs, is you're buying an NFT or selling an NFT, the original creator of the NFT gets a cut depending on how they've written it up. And you can write it in so many ways. So I think that asset class is here. So I, I, I look at NFTs, I guess, as another form of collectibles from that standpoint, a virtual collectible, which makes sense. So, you know, just the last few questions that I have, you know, I, I just be curious, you're an entrepreneur, you started a business in, in a really tough time. What's some lessons that you learned as you built your business that, you know, other, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners could take from, from what you've done? And maybe one or two of those things that you, that happened to you that were just really shitty in the moment, but you looking back, you're like, I wouldn't want it any other way because it taught me so much about running my business. Yeah. You want to find people who are going to stick with you. Loyalty is very important. You can train people to do things. You can hire talent outside, you know, on 1099s or as external contractors, but the, your core team, you want absolute loyalty, unquestioned loyalty. And the second thing is you got to show consistency as the founder, as the entrepreneur yourself, just like a father or a mother. If your father or mother doesn't have consistency, then uh, you got problems in that family. Same way as the owner, as the boss, as the leader, you got to show consistency in whatever you do. Man, that could be meeting your team every day or having a consistent conversation with everybody or you know, whatever way you want to show consistency, you want to do that. If you talk to one customer daily, but continue talking to one customer daily, I think consistency is very important. And 
You mentioned loyalty. And I think that, you know, right now in our industry, we're facing a, it's a, it's a tough time to find people, new people and quality people as well. And, you know, so often in the world, especially now as companies are, are trying just to hire people, there's always a company out there that's willing to pay your, your employees more than what you're paying them today. That's just the nature of it. How do you go about, you know, first off, analyzing or assessing loyalty, right? And what are some, some characteristics of some of the most loyal people that you've had in your business that you've seen as you built your business? You know, there's a saying that I cannot, uh, a judge said that, I cannot define vulgarity, but I know, know it when I see it. The same way if I were to ask you that, hey, when you s- smell a rose, can you define the smell of a rose? The same way I think loyalty is. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a definition of loyalty, but I know loyalty when I see it, when I experience it, but sometimes it's hard to define it. And loyalty doesn't mean that the person does whatever I ask him or her to do. I appreciate them also poking holes or questioning me. That's not, that doesn't mean that they're not loyal. Loyalty means that they're going to stick by you thick or thin. You know, because in business, in any large or small company, shit hits the fan. It always does. If you don't think it's going to, you live in fantasy land. And you want people who are not going to jump ship. So, you know, you want to work with people who are going to stay with you. And nowadays, that's very difficult. So as a leader, your job is to create an environment, a culture, what have you that people really don't even look outside. But you offer a lot more than somebody else might. And that's what makes them stick around. It's a matter of controlling what you can control and staying in the moment of I mean, where you are, right? You can't control what other people are doing. You can control what your actions are. And I think that you know, your example about a rose is, is spot on. I'm trying to just, you know. Find your tribe, you know, and that's what my TEDx is about. My TEDx is talking about three qualities a startup has, ETC, which is they strive for the extraordinary, they have a tribe, and third, they have unstoppable consistency, ETC. So there, there's your preview. There it is. All right, this has been a, a really great conversation and really insightful, and I appreciate you taking the time. And I know that there's other people that are listening that either would love to have you help them with your services or just continue to follow you and your your thought leadership. How can people get in touch with you and follow you? Well, the best way to get in touch with me is just Google my name or go to my YouTube channel, What's It Worth? And that is a link via which you can contact me, send us an email. If you have a question, I'm happy to help. Great. And uh, best of luck on the TED Talk. You're going to smash it out of the park. We can't wait to watch it when it's out. And uh, thanks again for your time. We'll talk soon, Bart. Appreciate you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 